Hello, and welcome everyone to a special Ropes and Gray podcast celebrating Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month. My name is Maria Gonzalez Calvet. I'm a partner at Ropes and Gray and co-chair of the firm's anti-corruption and international risk practice and Latin America practice. In this podcast series, we feature prominent Latinx and Hispanic clients who have had remarkable careers while also making significant contributions to their communities and working to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in their industries. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with my friend and client, Annie Lou Vasquez Ubari, Partner and Chief Human Resources Officer at TPG, a leading global alternative asset firm. In her role at TPG, Annie Lou oversees the firm's human resources function and provides support and counsel to executives across TPG's portfolio of more than 280 companies. She is a member of the firm's board of directors and serves as co-chair with CEO John Winkleried of the TPG Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. Annie Lou is also a director on the corporate boards of Upwork, a publicly traded company, and Greenhouse Software, a TPG portfolio company, as well as several nonprofit organizations, including Teach for America Bay Area, the Vera Institute of Justice, and Charter School Growth Fund. Prior to joining TPG, Annie Lou spent 11 years at Goldman Sachs, most recently as that firm's global head of talent and chief diversity officer. Before Goldman, Annie Lou practiced law for more than five years as an associate in the Executive Compensation and Employee Benefits Group at Sherman and Sterling. Annie Lou is one of the highest ranking Latinas working in the finance industry, and she has become a prominent voice on both human resources and diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. She has been named one of the most powerful Latinas in business by Forbes magazine and was recently recognized by the Association of Latino Professionals for America as one of the best corporate culture developers in their 50 most powerful Latinas list. Amilu, it is such a privilege to welcome you to this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Maria. I correspond the salutation as a friend and very happy client. And I'm, you know, very humbled by your introduction. Um, And so I appreciate you hosting me and giving me the opportunity to talk about what it means to be Latina. Well, thank you so much. We're so excited for the opportunity to hear about your impressive career and your journey. I definitely want to talk about that amazing journey. But first, let's go back a few steps and talk about your background, where you grew up, and your path to an experience in law school. I grew up in Puerto Rico, in Caguas, Puerto Rico. So Puerto Ricans are on my mind, um, given what's been going on um, there in the last you know, few weeks. Um, and I grew up uh, with uh, my parents, my sister, who is an older sister, and very importantly, with my great-grandmother, who lived with us and who was a source of um, inspiration and uh, mentorship, even when I didn't know when that was, uh, and someone that uh, became very, very important in my life. And and, um, I think in many ways influenced the person that I am Um, today. um, I went to school in Puerto Rico, and then from there uh, went to Princeton for undergrad. Um, So I went from I would say even my English classes felt like sometimes were in Spanish. 
um, in high school to being dropped into an environment where, you know, not only academically, obviously very um, challenging um, and different, but even from a social perspective, culturally very different. Um, and so I studied history um, and I had a minor in um, cultural affairs um, as part of my history major. And I really enjoyed my time at Princeton. I did a lot of different things, created bonds um, with many people that I don't think I otherwise you know, would have intersected with. I would also say being in, um, in that environment at Princeton actually a lot of what I define as being Puerto Rican and the reinforcement of um, my my Latinidad came actually from being in that environment um, and having for the first time to face and discuss um, what the Latino community uh, really means to this country and, and my role in it. Um, I, I knew I wanted to go to law school. I didn't know what kind of lawyer I wanted to be, uh, but I think that the only kind of lawyer I really knew was litigators. Um, I don't, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to the corporate side of the law. Um, I ended up going to uh, Fordham Law School in New York City. My husband and I actually went together. So we got married my senior year in college. He's also Puerto Rican. And we ended up both at Fordham and we were in different sections, uh, Maria, so this will resonate with you, but we ended up in sections um, that took a lot of their classes together. We have different last names, so, so people at first didn't know that we were married. So that made for a lot of funny stories in the classroom in law school. You know, you've touched on so many amazingly relevant touch points for um, people within the Latinx and Hispanic community, whether um, really being anchored to your roots and your culture and your family, no matter how far away they may be. And of course, I echo your well wishes and thoughts for the people of Puerto Rico, particularly now, who um, are wrestling with um, some real serious environmental challenges, of course, during this terrible hurricane season. But in addition, you talk about the transition to realizing that that cultural grounding and who you are made you different once you were in an environment that was different from your own. Um, talk to us a little bit about, if you would, you know, the, the people who helped anchor you in that experience, the people to whom, you know, when you were far away from your family and your home, um, you know, who gave you that mentorship and grounding and support? Yeah. So first of all, I was very lucky that I started with a group of roommates that a big proportion of them were my roommates from freshman year till graduation. We added a few other friends along the way, but still today, I'm, you know, I'm about to celebrate next year my 25th, um, you know, anniversary of graduation from Princeton, and they are not only my closest friends, but, you know, if, if you think about that experience and then you think about like going through the pandemic where all of us were at home without, you know, the ability to connect physically with people that we love, having that support system still um, was, was very relevant for me and for my family. And I'm the only person in that group of roommates that is not only Hispanic, but 
really not um, someone who had grown up in the States. So it, first lesson of difference doesn't mean that people can't form bonds and be supportive and actually learn from each other. Um, and I think that if you were talking to my roommates, they would say they're highly educated in all things Puerto Rico. And, and through that lens, um, many other aspects of diversity. So I think that, you know, not underestimating the influence that you can have even at that level where it's just based on personal uh, relationships. So they were a big uh, source of support. There was a tremendous Puerto Rican community, not not super big, um, but very tight community uh, on campus. And we did everything from celebrate, dance, um, you know, have each other's back, uh, mentor each other. Um, and still to this date, again, those relationships continue. And we're very focused actually on continuing to mentor the next generation of Puerto Ricans, for example, broadly speaking, but certainly with respect to, for instance, um, I also was fortunate enough not only to be the student of, but actually work for um, the one Puerto Rican professor that was at Princeton at that point. His name is Professor Arcadio Diaz Quinones. He's a uh, you know uh, very well recognized in the world of literature. He's an author himself, and um, taking his literature classes. I, I again I. I really saw the history of Puerto Rico and the history of Puerto Rico in the United States in from a very different lens um, because um, it was more global than um, what you know I understood growing up in Puerto Rico. So it just opened my mind. Obviously, being in New Jersey, a big population of Puerto Ricans, not only in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and certainly New York. Um, and I actually ended up writing my thesis on the Puerto Rican population in New York and its influence on the culture, the politics, and the intellectual movements from 19 to 1930. Because, Maria, most people talk about the Puerto Rican community actually from the 1950s onward, um, which is you know, definitely a big inflection point. But there was a community um, of intellectuals that were in New York and other parts of the East Coast that we're developing a narrative of what it meant to be Puerto Rican as well. So I just learned a lot about myself during that time. You know, it's so compelling to think about the responsibility that you undertook for yourself and for the people around you, not just to live and breathe and represent your culture um, in the best way that you knew how, but also to educate yourself and take it upon yourself to educate others. And that's a tremendous responsibility that I know that you took very, very seriously and do continue to take very seriously. It also requires I mean, a whole lot of courage, um, making fearless decisions, being willing to step outside your comfort zone, say things and educate others about topics that might make them uncomfortable. Talk to us a little bit about what drives that fearlessness and that I have witnessed firsthand in your decision making. <laughs> Um, I think that that's very characteristic of Puerto Ricans in the sense of, I think that we're very um, transparent and maybe not all of us have the same level of courage when put in an organizational context. Uh, but I think it deep down inside, we are always more comfortable with, you know, kind of putting everything out there. I also, you know, from a upbringing perspective, my mom, my dad, my um, great-grandmother, as I mentioned, all 
were always emphasizing to my sister and to me the importance of being that way in your personal life and in your professional life. And I grew up with the belief that it's always better for people to get maybe a little bit uncomfortable and mad at you in the moment, uh, but for them to always know where you stand on things and never uh, to feel like, you know, you're, you're talking behind their backs. Uh, we were like, that was the point that was very much emphasized. And I have carried that into my professional life. People know at TPG, at Goldman, at Sherman, wherever I've worked, they know that they're going to hear the truth from me to their face. I also, part of the reason why I make that choice is because I actually truly, truly care about the people that I work with. And I've always cared about the organizations that I'm a part of. You know, I'm one of those people, uh, I'm, I'm forever kind of on the team. Um, and I feel a huge responsibility. I also think that people that do my job need to find the way, we all have different styles. You need to find a way to push people to make the right decision for themselves, for the organization with integrity. Um, and we're often in a role where we have to say what maybe other people are not willing to say. And so it's not always comfortable. There are situations, you know, where maybe I would use humor more than, you know, um, kind of going direct at it. But I have always felt that this is very important. And I have a lot of mentees and other people that say, well, no, you can do that now because you're very senior. But I think that if you go back again, as I said to uh, my times at, you know, even my first job before going to law school, um, I think that people would tell you that. So I've been pretty consistent about it. And I think my friends would probably describe me the same way. Uh, but I realized that not every organization provides the environment for that to happen comfortably. And I also realized that it's difficult to do. It's not something that you know, it's your first instinct necessarily, uh, but I think it's very important for all of us to challenge ourselves to do that. I couldn't agree with you more. As you well know and have also witnessed, I live by very much the mm -hmm. same code. Yeah. And, you know, my my mother always said, who was a huge influence in my life, always says, be careful if you ask Maria for her opinion because you will get it. In the context of, you know, us in our client relationship, I, I think that's one of the things that I like the most about working with you because at the end of the day, I mean, you have to believe that the person has good intentions, right? So there's a trust um, context that you have to build and you have to be a consistent person in your good intentions. But I think that with that context, there's, you know, you want those people in your, on your team as your advisors because you know they're not gonna leave you, right? Uh, on purpose, at least the wrong way. And I feel very much that way with, with you and your team's counsel of us. Well, th thank you so much for saying that. And I do think that it's a role that you, I know, take very seriously. And we all know the statistics where, you know, only about 5% of law firm associates, only 2% of partners are Latinx or Hispanic. And similarly, we only account for about 4% of large U.S. companies most senior executives, less than 3% of corporate board members, and, and you have done all of these things. And so you're one of a really small handful of people who can occupy that space. We've talked a lot about 
role models and mentors, I'd like to pivot a little bit and ask a slightly different question of you, which is, how do you find yourself creating the space, which I know you do in your role at TPG, where others can feel the same degree of comfort of being open and honest and candid that you ascribe to and that, and that we both follow? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I always get it right, but I do try to be very deliberate. Um, and I think that there's simple things that you can do, particularly if you have, you know, kind of a team meeting or a team environment, also one-on-one, -on -one, but specifically ask for people's opinion um, and specifically say things like, if, if you are going to share your opinion first to say, this is my opinion, this is why, but if others see it other ways, I, I really want to hear that because it's possible that I'm just missing something. So I, I think that is a lot with what you say. I also think is action speaks louder. And so if people in an organization bring up things and then they end up ultimately either getting in trouble or being derailed a little bit from where they thought they were going for having spoken up, everyone's very smart and they're going to learn not to do that again. And so I think that both, again, as a, as a personal leader, a mentor and all of that, but also as someone who, you know, has a responsibility to make sure that things bubble up um, at our firms, you know, I think that the way that the organization behaves when people speak up is really, really important. Um, and by that, I don't mean like just the absence of negative things, but also the reinforcement of that behavior as a leaderly uh, behavior, as something that people will be rewarded for. Um, so I think that, again, people have different styles, Maria, of how they might do that. I also, you know, I have been privileged to have a lot of mentees throughout my career. And this is a topic that I spend a lot of time with people, particularly Latino um, mentees, um, because this is, as I said, there, there are parts of our culture that encourage this. And then there's another part of, of some of our cultures within the Latino community that really, you know, the deference to uh, seniority the deference to your boss, um, you know, the the feeling that because of those statistics that you cited, the fact that, you know, our roles may be more tentative um, than not, and you don't want to um, risk that, and you certainly don't want to risk it for those that may come after you. There's an internal dialogue that I know happens in people's head about this, and so I always tell people, make sure that you're choosing the right organization. Um, and then once you do that, then you need to do your part and do and speak up. Um, but I think that we all need to kind of from time to time, look at our behaviors and do a check. And, you know, there's certainly times where I look back and I'm like, I missed an opportunity of actually reinforcing that I'm okay with that because particularly, you know, in your position more senior and mine now, um, people may assume that that's not what they're there to do. No, that makes so much sense, as does what I think some of the undercurrent is to what you've been saying, which is not just looking at people's conduct or behavior, but trying to understand 
what motivates that behavior and speak to that motivation, speak to those values that, that might be anchoring people's decisions. I think I already know the answer to this question, and you may have already answered it even in this conversation, but I've asked you before about your transition from practicing law to working in the field where you are currently in employee relations. Tell us about what made you sort of make that transition. And then, of course, if you ever missed the practice of law. Well, I mean, to explain this, I have to go a little bit back to my time in my law firm because and this goes to a little bit of the point of what we all can do for each other in terms of mentoring, again, in particular in, in our Latino community, where we may not have full exposure to senior people in a number of fields. Uh, when we ourselves as junior people are trying to make uh, some of those decisions. So when when I decided to join Sherman as a summer intern, I didn't realize that they didn't have an employment law group. Uh, so I did rotations um, through a number of groups. I ended up in the executive compensation and employee benefits group. That's what it was called back then. And so I had a lot of my time on, on M&A and transactional work, a lot of time on executive comp. And then um, it just so happened that the, there was a partner and a counselor at that point that did a lot of the employee relations like matters for our clients. But because it was not, you know, a, a practice in and of itself, it was more of a, you know, something that you did for, for your clients. Um, and so I got staffed with them. So in a way, it was live happening to me um, in a, a very good uh, coincidence that got me started. Because if it wasn't for that background and the fact that I did that work, I think it would have been very, very hard for me to then move into my Goldman Sachs um, role in the employee relations group. When I joined that, I was the only person in the team who had not been an employment law uh, litigator prior to joining the firm. So it, it's a combination of being in the right place at the right time. And then I would say, you know, that was one of those moments where I had to kind of bet on myself and, you know, overcome the fear of being someone who didn't have that same background, but being extremely passionate about that, that work um, and about doing it in-house um, where I felt that I could really become a more natural advisor and an earlier advisor to people in the business by leaving and breathing uh, with them the challenges from an employee relations perspective. So I have to say, hands down, still it's my favorite job that I've ever had. And I am very fortunate that I still keep to, uh, doing it here. And I think that one of the things that I've enjoyed most is actually having the opportunity to have people on my team learn how to do um, employee relations cases. Um, I don't have other lawyers in this team, in this HR team. And so to have the opportunity to mentor them through how you handle a case and um, resolve complicated matters together with them is one of the things that I enjoy the most, even if, you know, sometimes the topics are not the most enjoyable. Um, so that's, that, that was my transition. I knew I didn't want to continue to be a practicing lawyer in a law firm. I didn't think that I wanted to go in-house. 
to do it. But the reality is that that was probably a pseudo uninformed decision on my part, Maria, because I didn't know a lot of in-house lawyers. Um, but I just kind of fell in love with the employee relations work and that obviously led me then to transform more into the talent space and further into a more holistic, you know, human capital career. And what would you say if you could describe the thing in your current role or the aspect of your current role that you are the proudest of, the accomplishment that you're the proudest of, or the contribution that you and the team have made to TPG that you think has been the most impactful? The answer to that is the teams that I either am directly responsible for or that I work with closely, seeing them um, not only hone in their craft, but be so committed to doing an excellent job, even in the more difficult circumstances. I mean, COVID has been a challenge for everyone globally for many reasons, but when you think about the role of the you know, human capital teams uh, at the center of it, but many others in terms of how you communicate with employees, the, the communication team, making legal judgments on um, things, so the legal team getting involved and really working as cross-functional teams um, is something that TPG does very well. And, you know, seeing that in the context of COVID, uh, which obviously, again, has a lot of very unfortunate undertones. Um, but again, our facilities, teams, our, um, you know, everyone who touches the experience of our employees. And then to see that again in the process of the IPO, where a different kind of team effort that was needed and maybe perhaps some other different teams, but again, seeing uh, the teams that I'm responsible for in HR and the communications team um, really contribute to the success of the firm um, through a very difficult process and seems everyone come out of that experience, not only closer as teammates, but also with a new level of experience. Um, that makes me really proud for them. And it makes me really proud to work at a firm that is capable of doing things like that. Well, I'm sure your teams are equally proud and grateful for you as we are for the privilege of having had this wonderful conversation and learning so much about your career. Again, thank you so much, Anilu, for the time. And we just really appreciate you and all of the teaching. Thank you. Thank you, Maria, again, for having me. And thank you for celebrating the Latino community 